0: Welcome to the Scotts Hill Podcast. At Scotts Hill, our mission is to join God in His work of transforming lives. One of the ways we join God is by studying and proclaiming His Word. So each week, our podcast features our Sunday morning sermons, where one of our pastors explains, illustrates, and applies the Bible to our lives. We hope that you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of the Lord.
1: Good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill. So glad that you 're here this morning. Those of you who are joining us online. Thank you for inviting us into your home. Um, and it is a pleasure to um, uh, join you in there. And those of you who will be watching us in the Cross Point Center, thank you for your commitment to being there every week to help us with the growth that's been happening here. And those of you who may be first-time guests, my name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here. We are happy that you are here this morning. Now, before we begin anything, let me just kind of give a congratulations to all the Michigan fans for your team having won the national championship. Any Michigan fans here. Any, but y'all, y'all are the quietest <laughs> Michigan fans I have ever heard. Well, just want to say a congratulations to the Michigan fans because the um, Wolverines have proven that they are the best college football team in the nation through the national championship last week. Now, after they have won, all of football in college is already looking forward to next year. Everybody's looking for, after the national championship, there were coaches who were fired. There were um, uh, um, coordinators who were fired. There was one particular coach who retired, and that's Nick Saban, and for us LSU fans, yay. Um, (laughs) Jim, I see you back there. But, uh, But then you see that there were a number of other things that have happened during that time. Student College um, players have begun entering the portal, and they've been trying to find new teams. Everybody's shifting around, recruits happening. Everybody in the college football world is looking to next year. They're looking to 2024 and 2025 so that they might be the victor in their own conferences in this upcoming year. They're already looking forward. We've been studying the book of Romans, and we've come into chapter eight. And we're in the middle of chapter eight. So if you have your Bibles, open to Romans chapter eight, and right in the middle of everything that Paul has been writing about, he's shifting gears and he's focusing our attention on eternity. In this section, he has us thinking about glory. He has us thinking about eternal life. Now, I've always said to you that life is not cyclical, it doesn't just repeat, but all of life is linear and we are moving towards eternity. Every single person in this room, without exception, is moving towards eternity. And that eternity that we want to move towards is an eternity with God in his presence forever. Now, the thing that gets us into the presence of God forever is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The book of Romans is all about the gospel of God. And in that entire book, it is a constant focus on his gift to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And the central theme is that of justification, that we are justified in before God through a relationship with Christ. That Jesus, his son, came, lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross in our place and for us, and that he rose on the third day, and his sacrifice was the perfect sacrifice that satisfied the wrath of a holy God, and every person that surrenders his or her life to Christ is counted as just because of their faith. And then they have eternal life, they're adopted as sons and daughters, and within them the Holy Spirit takes up residency to begin to indwell. And that's the picture of what Romans is about. And when we get to chapter 8, in the beginning of that, we saw last week that once we are justified and we're adopted, we're in the family of God, there's a new way to live, and that's in the power of the Holy Spirit. And last week we saw that there's a new way in the Spirit, that there's a new freedom. There's no condemnation. There's a new mindset. There's a new indwelling presence and power in the Holy Spirit. There's a new obligation to obey the things of the Spirit and not our flesh. There's a new identity. We're sons and daughters of God. There's a new intimacy with the Father. And there's a new inheritance that we have before us. He lays all that out. And then beginning in verses 18 to 30, he begins to turn our attention to eternity. He turns our attention to glory. And in this passage, he is gonna give us three important truths about glory that we need to apply in our lives as we are here on this earth. Now, before we can do that, we need to jump back into verse 17. Because verse 17 sets up verses 18 through 30. And here's what he says in verse 17. He says, and if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, this is a really interesting verse. Because when we talk about the inheritance, none of us has a problem thinking about inheritance. None of us has a problem about thinking all the wonderful blessings that we're gonna have in heaven together as a faith family. But what we don't like and what we're uncomfortable with is the fact that glory and suffering go hand in hand. We don't like that. We like the glory part, but we don't like the suffering part. So what is Paul talking about here when he's saying that we are to suffer with him if we are to be glorified with him? In verses 18 through 30, he gives us three important truths that we need to remember that will help us understand difficulties and struggles in light of the promises of God. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to give you three specific principles that he teaches here. And this will encourage us today as we live this life together for the glory of God. Here's the first thing he says. He speaks to us about the incomparable gains of glory. He says the gains of glory are things that cannot be compared And so as we're living our life as believers, we need to remember that for glory, there are some incomparable gains that are going to be ours one day. Here's how he puts it in verse 18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. The first thing he does is he tells us that he assumes that we're going to suffer, He assumes that in our present life, there are going to be difficulties. Now, we don't always like that. We don't like to think that life is going to be difficult and it's going to be suffering. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. Now, the Christian life is created with two bookends. One bookend begins with justification when we come to faith in Christ. The other bookend is glorification when we go to be with Jesus. But between that point is what we call sanctification. And in that point is where God uses these things to make us and to shape us into the image of Christ. We live in a world and we live in a a culture where the churches in America don't like to talk about suffering. We have all but lost the doctrine of suffering in our churches. People don't want to talk about that. Matter of fact, for the long time, there has been this this teaching through what was called the Word of Faith movement about health, prosperity, and the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel simply says this, that if you're living an abundant life, then you will only experience the positive things. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to be sick. You're not going to struggle. All these wonderful things that you're going to experience in life are going to be the marks of a faithful believer. And they don't want to talk about the suffering things. In fact, you're not even to mention anything of pain and suffering and struggle because if you do, it manifests itself in your life and then you begin to live it. Matter of fact, I heard Joel Osteen one time say this. He said that the reason that Job suffered was because he spoke a negative statement that became a reality in his life. He said that the the thing that I most feared has come upon me. And if Job wouldn't have said that, he wouldn't have gone through the suffering. Well, he must not have read the beginning of the book of Job, where God put him through that because he was a righteous man. And this whole concept of a lack of suffering just is not taught through Jesus himself. When I read the words of Jesus, he teaches anything but that. Consider this. In Luke six twenty-two and 23, he says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn you as your name is evil on account of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven. And then in John, he says this, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And then Peter says this. He says, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The early church knew about suffering. The early church knew what it was to die for their faith. We know very little in our churches about suffering. We're not in danger of being put to death because of our faith. In fact, we get upset if somebody says something negative about our Christian faith on Facebook. In fact, we get all upset if somebody unfriends us because of our Christianity. But it's not only suffering from persecution. Listen, James says this. He says, count it all joy when... You encounter various trials. We will suffer. Christians do get sick. Christians do have debilitating diseases. Christians do have cancer. Christians do struggle with anxiety and depression. Christians do struggle with limitations in this life. We do. And the thing that Paul is talking about here is that no matter what we go through, those things cannot compare to the glory that one day we will have in the presence of Christ. a matter of fact, Paul puts it this way. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light momentary affliction it's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. It can't even be compared. What is Paul saying? Here's what Paul is saying. Listen, if you're struggling with anything in your life, hang on, hang on. If you're struggling with cancer, it's not always gonna be like this. One day you will be in glory. If you're struggling with some debilitating struggle, issue, disease, it's not always going to be like this. If you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with depression, it's not always going to be like this. And so in the midst of all of these struggles, turn your attention to what cannot be compared as you think about the days of glory and the presence of Christ. And in the midst of your struggles, what happens is it gives you this incredible hope that life is not always going to be like this. It is going to get better, either here or in glory. So what does that mean for us? That means this, that every day when I get up, I have one day. And this day, I make a commitment that regardless of where I am, regardless of what my circumstances are, today I choose to glorify you, Father. Whatever is in my life, I choose to glorify you. And not only do I do that, today I rest in your full grace to get me through this day. So it's for your glory and it's through grace. And as I think of the future, I can rest assured that one day he will wipe away every tear. There will be no pain. There will be no wheelchairs. There will be no crutches. There will be no medication. We will be as God has intended us to be in glory. There is an incomparable gain that we have because of our relationship with Jesus in eternity. But here's the second thing he tells us. He not only talks about this incomparable gain that we have in verse 18, but in verses 19 through 25, he talks about the inexpressible groans for glory. There are inexpressible groans. Now when he talks about groans, he's not talking about complaining. He's not talking about murmuring. He's not talking about belly aching. He's not talking about any of those things. When he's talking about these groans, what he's talking about is this internal dissatisfaction from living in a broken, fallen world. That because of sin, nothing really is as God has intended it to be. And so there are some groans that take place. In fact, he names three groaners in this passage. And let's look at what he says. He says, first of all, we see the groans of creation. Sounds kind of odd, doesn't it? But all of creation groans. And this is how Paul puts it. In verse 19, he says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. This is interesting, creation refers to all of the non-rational creatures or creation that God has made. The non-rational, which means animals, birds, reptiles. The inanimate objects such as mountains and oceans and seas and planets. All of those things are part of creation. And he says all of creation waits with eager longing. Here's the picture. The picture of all of creation is standing on its tiptoes looking to glory. It's like it's trying to look over the current situations of life and trying to get a glimpse of God redeeming man. Why is it that creation would do that? Because creation is the next in line to be redeemed. Men and women who come to a relationship with Jesus Christ have a redeemed soul, but one day we will have a redeemed body to go with that. And one day, all of creation itself will be restored to its perfection. Now, why is it not? He says in the next verse, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What's he saying here? He's saying that all of creation was subjected to futility because of the sin of Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, not only did it affect them, but it affected the entire universe we see that it was subjected to futility, not willingly, but by him who subjected it, which is God. When Adam and Eve sinned, the curse came. And not only were they cursed, but the entire planet and all of the universe. Do you know what happened? When Adam and Eve sinned, the phrase says, that in the day that you eat of that that, that fruit, you will die. In the Hebrew, it literally says, dying you will begin to die. At that point, everything started moving towards decay and destruction. It's in physics, the law of entropy. And the law of entropy is an irreversible act where everything moves towards deterioration and chaos, not complexity and order. And from man's sin, it impacted the whole universe. Let me just say this, that your sin never impacts just you alone. It impacts everybody around you. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it impacted the entire universe. So it's not evolution, everything moving towards good and order. No, because of the sin, all of creation now is in futility. And what is it doing? It's looking for the redemption of man so that it will be restored to perfection. Now, can you imagine if the creation could talk what it would say to humanity in the way that we treat it? Can you imagine what the beaches in North Carolina might say because of all the people always walking down? The beach might say, I'm so tired of you people leaving your water bottles and your wet diapers and your shaboos that keep blowing in the wind and making noise all day long. Or maybe the mountains saying, you know what? I really appreciate you walking on my trails and all of those things, but quit stacking all these little rocks and making monuments everywhere. I'm so tired of it. Or or, or the forest saying, I love for you to come into the forest. I love for you to take your sons and your daughters, but I wish that you would teach your sons aim in the potty somewhere different in the bark of my tree. And so you see all of this. You can imagine what would happen if that creation comes about. Now, here's what he says in verse 22. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, from the very moment of the fall to now, there's this this aching in creation to be restored. Let me just say this. The restoration of creation is not gonna come about through a Green New Deal. It's gonna come about through the redemption of humanity. And through that, all of it will be restored. Let me just say this, that, that God is not giving the earth away. It is his, and he's going to renew it. And one day it's going to be as he designed it to be. And, and people have asked me, are there going to be animals? Yeah. When you read through scripture, you find that there are animals. We find that the, that the wolf is going to lay down with, with the lamb. We find that the child will be around the cobra. We find that there are all kinds of animals that are going to be a part of God's creation. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. What does that look like? I don't really know. And people ask me all the time, is my favorite pet, my dog, is it gonna be in heaven? I don't know, because we know that animals don't have souls, so your pet may be there, maybe your favorite horse, maybe your favorite um, dog, maybe your favorite, I don't know, rooster, Um, and, and I am going to avoid any derogatory comments about cats. And the reason I'm going to avoid that is because this past week, one of my pastors said, you do know that Jesus is the lion of Judah and a lion is a cat. So I therefore am forever silenced on that. (laughs) But all of creation groans and looks forward to the redemption of man. But not only do we see creation groans, here's the second thing. We see the groans of believers. Believers also groan there's a groaning within us and a longing within us. Look what he says in verse 23. He says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, that's the indwelling presence of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons to the redemption of our bodies in verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What's he saying? He's saying that we even groan. There are two ways that believers groan in their spirits. Number one, we can groan because of morality. We get so sick and tired of sin. We get tired of temptation. We get tired of the struggle of maybe falling short. We get tired of offending God and grieving the Holy Spirit. We can get to places in our life where we groan because of the struggle of this sinful nature. When I turned 60 years old, what happened in me was something that didn't happen at any other decade in my life. When I turned 40, I didn't have a problem. When I turned 50, I didn't have a problem. When I turned 60, I was really disappointed. And here's what I was disappointed with. I thought by the time I was 60 years old, I would have been much further along spiritually than I am. But I still struggle I still deal with temptation. I still deal with the flesh. And we always are going to do that until we're in glory. So there is some groaning because of morality. But sometimes there's groaning because of our mortality. Just as the earth is winding down, our bodies are winding down. As we get older, we can't do the things we used to do. Our minds say we can, but our bodies don't. And what we understand is our bodies begin to break down and we can groan because of just the decay that happens. I notice in my own body all kinds of things that are happening. I used to to eat whatever I want, now it all settles right around my belt. And, and, And I know that I used to, could preach, there was a time where I preached three sermons every single Sunday for 21 years. I did that Christmas Eve, and I was exhausted when I got home. And and, and my body changes in a lot of other ways. I've been gripping my hands, and on my left hand, something has changed. I got that one finger there, it locks. I just squeezed it, and it's locked. And the bad thing about that, I have yet to find any kind of hand signal that's cool that represents that. (laughs) There's none. There's nothing sexy about that. I can't even do, you know, the wolf pack thing because it's locked down. I cannot do live long and prosper. I can't do anything and it hurts so bad because I gotta uh, do that to open it up. And so what's happening is our bodies are wearing down. And so we groan because we look forward to the day when we will be perfect. There's the groans of creation There's a groans of believers, but incredibly, there are the groans of the Holy Spirit. We find in verses 26 and 27 that the Holy Spirit himself groans. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There are times we don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. Do I pray for healing? Do I pray for endurance? Do what do I pray for? And there are times that the Holy Spirit helps me in my weakness. He intercedes with groanings that are too deep for words. Here's the picture. Is sometimes when you and I groan in our prayer, we don't know what to pray. And the only thing we can do is just wordlessly cry out to God. It may be a sigh, it may be a cry. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit does the same. He groans with us. He groans for us. And he groans in ways that are too deep for words. Some people have wrongly said this is when the Holy Spirit begins to pray through a believer and they pray in tongues. This has nothing to do with praying in tongues because the word there means wordless. There are no words. And because the Holy Spirit groans with us, he goes on, he says, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, which is God. He knows what the Holy Spirit is praying and what he's wanting to accomplish in us because he intercedes for saints according to the will of God. Here's the really greatest part of all the groanings. No matter what you're going through, when you groan, the Spirit of God in you groans. And he is always interceding. He goes between you and the Father and he calls out to the Father those things according to his will that God would bring about in your life. So there's the incomparable groans of glory. There are the inexpressible groans for glory. But here's the final one. There's the infallible guarantee of glory. God guarantees that he will finish what he begins. Whatever God has begun, he finishes. And what we see in verses 28 through 30 are a number of things. We see one of the most quoted scriptures in chapter eight in verse 28 And we see some of the most debated scriptures in verses 29 and 30. And in that guarantee, he guarantees two things. Or we see two guarantees. Here's the first thing. His guarantee is seen in our progress. Verse 28, here's what he says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Most of us know this verse. Most of us have memorized this verse, but most people get this verse wrong because they say, oh, we just know all things will work together for good. They approach it as though it's just nothing more than synergy. You know what? Things will work out. It's kind of like that line in the first movie of Jurassic Park where it says, life will find a way. And we just think, oh, it'll work out. Doesn't matter what you do, it'll work out for your good. Doesn't matter what you encounter, it'll work out. It's kind of like a synergy type thing, but we get it wrong. But in this passage, there are several things that we need to understand. Number one, there's the certainty of our glory. He says, we know. We know that God is going to finish what he starts. Secondly, there's the source of our glory. It is God. It is God who is working all things out. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who is ceasingly energetically actively working in our lives in every area of our lives and he is the one that's bringing it about the third thing is the extent of our glory that god uses some things for our good right no he uses all things for our good every single thing we encounter and fourthly we see the recipients of the future glory for those who love God and are called to his purpose. He is saying there is the infallible guarantee of your glory that because God is working in you, he will complete that and use every bit of these things to make you and shape you into the image of his son. We see that this is the progress But in verses 29 and 30, he brings about a second thing. He brings his guarantee as seen in in, in a process, in his process. And the process is salvation. Now verses 29 and 30 is what's known as the golden chain of salvation. And here we see the process by which God moves us into a relationship with him, which guarantees our glory. And here's how he puts it. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What does he do here? There's a a big argument among Arminians and Calvinists in this situation. There's some who, who take different positions on this golden chain of salvation. I'm just gonna present it very simply because we're almost out of time, but let me just make it very simple. What is he saying here? He's saying this, whom he foreknew. The word foreknew means intimately knew beforehand. Every person who's a child of God God has intimately known you from eternity past. He said to Jeremiah, I've loved you with an everlasting love. He says that before you were born, I called you to be my own. Every single person who's a child of God, God has already loved you from eternity past. Here's the second thing, whom he predestined. The word predestined means marked out or set apart beforehand. It's not that God looked through the corridors of time and saw all the people who would respond to him and he chose them. No, God marked you out beforehand. Paul writes in Ephesians, he says this, that you were chosen from the foundations of the earth. Jesus told his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. And so God intimately knew us. He intimately marked us out. And the third thing, whom he called, God calls us into a relationship with him. There are two calls. There's an effectual call and there's a general call. The general call goes out to all humanity to repent and believe. But the effectual call is when the Holy Spirit of God comes and begins to do a work in your life and you respond to him by your faith. And here's the fourth thing. He justifies Whom he calls, he justifies. And we've been talking about that from the beginning of Romans. And he counts us as righteous. And then he glorifies. That means there is the absolute certainty of eternal life. Here's the whole point that he's making. That as a believer, you are absolutely guaranteed eternity. No one can take it away from you you can't even lose it yourself. Why, because it's the process that God has worked through and changed your heart and your life. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what difficulties, no matter what struggles, we can look to this earth and the weaknesses or we can look to the glory that he promises of the future. For some of you who are struggling, let me just encourage you believers, stand on your tiptoes and look to glory. See what God has for you in eternity. You might groan, you might struggle, you might have difficulties in where you are in your life, but we can know that God has good plans for us. I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Believer, you're secure in Christ. No matter what your struggle is, no matter what your difficulties are, no matter what your joys are, you are forever secure. And there is glory that's waiting for you. Don't let the things of this earth keep you from seeing the promises that God has for you because he has good plans, good plans for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a word of prayer. Our band's gonna come out And we're going to learn a new song. It's called Good Plans. That whether we find ourselves in deserts or in gardens, he has good plans. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me. Father, we thank you for the wonderful promises of your word. We thank you, Father, that we can rest assured and complete hope in you. And Father, for those who are believers, we know that the best is yet to come. But while we live in this interim time and we struggle, Father, we pray that you would encourage us today, that you would strengthen us, and that you would remind us in the midst of whatever we're going through, you have Good plans for us. And Father, if there are those here this morning who don't have a relationship with you, I pray, Father, today that they would come to understand your great love and what Christ has done for them, and they would consider Jesus as Lord and Savior, because He's the only one who can carry us into glory in an eternal relationship with you. Work in our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Thank you for listening. Hebrews 13, 20-21 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is our hope for you today. If you would like to connect with us, visit our website at scottsill.org slash next steps. Till next time.